Welcome to the Happy Mindset, episode 145. Today's episode is called Reverse Engineering. Today I'm going to talk about reverse engineering, my experiences with reverse engineering in reality, how I think about reverse engineering. It's the way I look at it is it's there's a science to it, but it's also an art form in that it's not 100% reliable reverse engineering. It applies to some areas more so than others. So I find with technical skills like computer programming, reverse engineering works really well because you could have somebody's code. They might have created something. And what you can do then with reverse engineering is to read their code, try and identify the patterns of the code so that you can replicate that and make some adjustments to that to create whatever feature you need based on that pattern. So with coding, with reverse engineering like a software engineer, it's a great tool to have reverse engineering in your arsenal. I found reverse engineering as a learner. What helps is that if you're willing to be coachable, if you're willing to not have to reinvent the wheel all the time, if you're not stubborn in that regard, if you're humble and you realize that other people have done a lot of work and they've put a lot of time and thought into creating these things, then why not use their patterns and adjust those patterns as much as possible? I found that that's useful. I suppose another thing to keep in mind here is the copying. Copying. There's a, there's a distinction here. What you'll find in the real world is that creating things is really about stealing. Stealing and combining things in your own way. I think, what is it? Picasso? One of those artists, anyway, used to say that great artists steal. That was basically the thing. I don't know what exactly it was. Again, I thought I had it to mind there, but, but uh, great art. I think it's like good artists copy, great artists steal. We're not talking here about plagiarism. Well, I hope we're not talking about plagiarism. We're not talking about plagiarism. It's like identifying the pattern and making the pattern your own. So for example, even starting a podcast, it wasn't like that was a fresh new idea that I came up with. Podcasts were in existence for a few years before I started my own podcast. So I saw the pattern, I saw what goes into it. So how, how I go about reverse engineering it then is that I think of the most simple form, the most simplified form that this can take. So I find what can block people is if you don't break something down into its component parts, it can be very, very overwhelming. So if you don't break it down, so think of a podcast, you might think of Joe Rogan and think of his studio and think of all that kind of manpower and effort that goes into that even he's even got what's his name jamie he's got a person with him who he's hired so you might immediately jump to that and think that that's what you need to have to have a podcast but if you break it down what's the basic requirements here i need to have something to record me and record my guests so zoom is what i use that's what i need i can have a microphone just to improve the sound quality if that's something i want to do i can use the the I can use the microphone on my laptop if I want to, but I can invest in a microphone. It's a small investment if I want to do that. And then I need a place to distribute the podcast. So I research on Google. I check out how do you get on Spotify? How do you get on iTunes? All the different podcast platforms. When you actually look into it, you start to realize that isn't that difficult. There's actually a hub. I use Anchor, Anchor FM, where I upload all my audio and they distribute that to all the platforms so I don't even need to manually upload it to Spotify and to all the different platforms I put it in one location one hub and it distributes all that for me and that's free uh, Anchor FM is free right now 
So there are the component parts there. It's the recording using Zoom, free software. Got a microphone, invested a little bit in that. And then I've got, I need to have a place to, to distribute the audio. And what you want to do at the very start is to make it very, very simple so that you actually do it, so you can be consistent with it. Because a big part of this is consistency. Putting in the work week after week, day after day, even me recording an episode, even though a lot of times I'll just impromptu to speak about things, I'll have a general topic like reverse engineering today. I don't really know exactly what I'm going to talk about. I just know I'm going to talk around reverse engineering. But the reason I can talk some bit around this stuff is because day to day, I'm always working on this stuff in some way. I'm either thinking about it, I'm either having conversations with people around this or I'm working on it through reading books or through writing, through coding. So it's always there, day to day. So the reverse engineering for the podcast, as you might see there, it's slightly different. It's really boiling it down into its basic components, built from there. Even come back to Joe Rogan there. He would have started off in a more basic format to where he is now. As you gain some momentum, as we even gain some money in the podcasting industry, podcasting world you can reinvest and that's how things evolve over time but it has to start somewhere there has to be a nebulous simple idea simple thing you can put into action for something to even have any bit of momentum in the future so this applies more to coding even foreign languages with language hacking i found reverse engineering very beneficial because with foreign languages it can help you when you define the end goal so i have some experience in language hacking with spanish and italian my end goal was communication. So I had a very clear end goal at the, at the end and the communication was specifically around, I wanted to speak to people about sport. I think that was the major topic I had back then, sport, and in just general language, general vocabulary that I can use in just general day-to-day -day conversations to get me by. So that helps because you've got an end goal, then you learn the words according to that. And it also helps you to highlight the people you're interested in having conversations with. So when I was learning Spanish, I learned it in France. But there was a Spanish teacher in the school who also liked talking about football and soccer. So he was a person I would have some conversations with in Spanish. So it's very directed, very intentional. Helps simplify the whole process when you take a reverse engineering aspect to this. Because when you're not reverse engineering, you don't think of the end goal. You just start from the start and you, you just presume over time you'll the end goal will become clearer, which it does, but I think you waste a lot of time when you haven't clearly defined the end goal to begin with. So this can also, again, we'll tie it back to something a little, little bit less tangible, even though the language is there, it's, it's quite fluid, to be fair, and coding is quite fluid as well. You also, in coding, you'll spot patterns, but you also want to be creative, and sometimes you do want to think about something in a different way. But at the end of the day, there's still logical things in code that you can't veer away from too much there has to be a logic in there for something to work in the first place that's why i like coding because it does help me to have to keep a focus on the logic so that there's logic underpinning the creativity so we'll take this to just books so if you want to create a book publish a book in the morning if you haven't put a lot of thought into it, if you haven't done a bit of research on it, you might just assume that you'd have to write up a, a manuscript and send it to publishers and hope that somebody's going to pick it out and it'll just stand out. Hope that some publisher will pick up on it. 
that would probably be the old way of doing it years and years ago when we didn't have Amazon or we didn't have other distributors or you couldn't self-publish. Nowadays, there's multiple different ways of doing it and it comes down to your style. What are you comfortable with? What path do you want to go down? As I've evolved as a writer, I found that Amazon, publishing on Amazon worked well for me. When I published my first book, I didn't go down the self-publishing route. It was actually Lisa was helping people to publish books with her own little publishing company. And she helped me publish that book. Now that I've had experience in that, there's a good chance I will go down the self-publishing route in the future for future books. And I feel that works well for me. I like putting it on Amazon. Originally, when I, when I published the first book, I wanted to also get it into shops. But I found it was quite awkward, that process. I kind of lost interest in that. I was just happy to have it on Amazon, to be honest. Anybody can, most people are familiar with Amazon. So if they really want to get the book, they'll go on there. So with that then, that's completely reshaped how I think about publishing books. Because I've done it once, I can see that the process there, the process isn't as overcomplicated as I thought it was before. Because before I used to think about how do you how do you get the book cover? There's so much stuff that goes into a book. So I'm not going to say that this is easy and simple. But once you've gone through the process once, you kind of know what to expect. So it does help you a lot once you've done it once. Same thing with like if you learn a language once through language hacking, you know what the process is for the next language. You might you might need to adjust things accordingly, make a few different changes according to the language because not all languages are the same. There's going to be different things that stand out in different languages. But because you've got a general process, you've got something to start with. And that's what I feel the same way with books. If you publish once on Amazon, you know what the process is like for the next time you want to do it. So, but it down there, it's, it's, it's really... I wrote the book in a Word document. I think we just converted it to PDF then. There's so many different ways of going about this. But first and foremost, it's like, it's having that desire to write something that you have something to write or, and you're willing to put in the work. It's the consistency, it's the commitment. That's the hard part. Like it takes months, sometimes it can take months to write a book. It depends. You might be able to write, you might be able to write a book quite quickly too. Like I'm in the process of writing my book at the moment and I'm, I'm really kind of thinking about my assumptions around it. Like should there be less words? Because originally when I started writing, I, I kind of had in mind that it's going to be 30,000 words, like the first book at least. I didn't consider it a proper book if it didn't have that many words. But now I'm starting to kind of look at it and I'm like, we're using a lot of illustrations in this. And it could be quite different if there's more illustrations and less words. And the way I'm thinking about the less words is that it's going to be more impactful words. as in that the right words will be in the book rather than just me filling words in there for no reason. Because I talk about a lot of the stuff anyway on the podcast. And it'll be quite fun bringing the imagery into the podcast, creating a few new images. I was even looking at coding, a bit of creativity with that, play around with some images, put that in the book more so. So there might be a lot more images in this book. There probably will be. There will be more images in this book and more color. I want to have more color in the images this time. Last time it was black and white images. This time I want to have more color in the imagery and less words. So we'll experiment with that. And I like that because it feels like a challenge to me. It feels like a challenge that you're, if, you, if you're going to have less words and you have to think the thing is, with less words, you have to think more so about what to cut out. That's what I found difficult in the first book. I had a tendency, if I wrote something, I found it, if, if I felt that that was a good sentence, I'd want to leave it in. It's difficult to actually take things out. I heard a lot of great writers say that. 
that it, the hard part is the editing part. It's the throwing away words after you put in so much effort into writing words. That's the that's the hard part to, to writing and publishing a book. But they're the basic they're the they're the basic components there to actually write the book, have something that's that's public or publishing, and then you can look, look into the Amazon part. There's a bit to it, but it's not impossible. It's like the book cover. There's people on Fiverr there. Once you get some bit of experience in this, like it took me quite a while to piece the pieces together because I'd been working in freelancing before uh, before working in the book. So I was some way familiar with the, with the different services out there through the podcast, podcasting as well. So I would have been familiar with places like Fiverr and different other places where you get services provided for you to help you as a creator. So there's an element of accumulating experience over time. That's what I've kind of found in my life. I've, I've done so many different things over the years and I continue to do so many different things. I have my hands in a lot of different baskets, but it's all around creativity. So just because one project mightn't have been on the surface of success doesn't mean that it was a waste of time because there's always something I'm bringing forward with it. Some bit of experience that's going to make the next thing quicker to implement because I had that experience. So the last thing I want to talk about here is the reverse engineering that I'm applying to the future, what I'm currently working on. So what I have been working on for a long time and what I'm getting clear on now and just a bit more confident around this is what I'm working on is animations, creating animated charts. This, this is where this is heading right now. So reverse engineering and animated charts. So this was in my mind for quite a while. I just never really articulated it because it felt like a massive vision that I would never accomplish. I'd my head in the clouds if I ever even spoke it out loud. I would immediately think of like Walt Disney and Disney, that type of like massiveness to it. But it comes down to the reverse engineering part, boiling it down to its basic components. So when you really think about it, what goes into an animated short? And I suppose animated chart would be the entry point for me there. So I wouldn't even think of doing an animated movie, but I would think of doing an animated chart because an animated chart for me is something short. It's a few minutes long. It's not, it's doable. It's difficult, but it's doable. So if you reverse that back a few years before that, before you even think of doing animated charts, what would go into, what skill sets would you need to practice, develop on to get into that realm where you're starting to think of creating animated charts? So you'd have stories, you'd have illustrations. That's what will come to mind for me. Stories, illustrations. So the next thing then would be people who can put voices to the animations, putting voices to the animations. You could be a bit creative around that. But boiling it down to its, its core elements are the stories, the illustrations, and the voice. So when, when you look at what I've been doing for the last three years, coming up four years now, there are three things that we're doing here. Stories, the stories element would be me doing the podcast, me talking to people. We're sharing stories, we're sharing narratives here that can impact people. Then the next part would be the illustrations, which we've been doing anyway with the book, the first book, the second book now we're working on. And just through all the podcast episodes, there's imagery for every episode. And then the last thing, the voice, which ties into the narratives. So different voices, there's different voices on the podcast. So that's kind of that's how I go about reverse engineering something that can be massive. 
and something that is hard to pin down. I look at the core elements and say, how do I work with this? So there's also an element of putting it outside yourself. I don't know how this is going to form in the future. All I know is that I've got stuff to work with right now. I've got stuff to work with. I had stuff to work with last year, the year before, and the year before that. I can remember when I started off, I did this podcast first. I can remember the, the, the first logo I had for the Happy Mindset. It was so basic, and I got it from Fiverr. It was Fiverr where I got it from. It was so basic, and I look back at it now, and I'm like, even at the time when I, when I had that image, I was kind of like, I was kind of embarrassed about it. I was like, yeah, it kind of gets across what I'm trying to say here, but it, it looks so amateur, and it looks so... Ah, there's nobody going to take me seriously. That was the first kind of feeling I had with that, that logo. But that was the starting point. That was where something came to life. So you just work with things year in, year out. So it comes back to the consistency, putting a bit of heart into what you're doing, a bit of soul into what you're doing. They're the hard parts. The rest of the things kind of takes care of itself over time. So for me, even even if I finished all this now, I would still see it as a, as a success because those core elements have already been filled. They just haven't been filled yet on a form level where it's clear to everyone to see that there's animations going on here. And animations, why animations? It's a funny one because I don't particularly watch animations as an adult. I don't really even watch. I used to watch kind of Family Guy, Simpsons, that type of thing. I'd watch it now if it was on, but I'm not really a fan of animated films. Yeah, I don't even watch uh, superhero movies or anything like that. It's been a long, long time since I've, I've watched anything like that. So sometimes I kind of question why, why, why animations? Other than when I was younger and I felt I was going to be a cartoonist. That's kind of been the link for me all along. And I think it was, it was actually, if we look at, look at it a little bit deeper, it was actually the feeling. It was the feeling of feeling like there are things in this world that are just impossible that you're never going to achieve so that you don't even try because nobody else can achieve them. Don't try. So I, th- I think it's, it's that feeling more so than anything. It just happens to be that that's, that's the form it takes then. And I suppose actually I, I do like the fact that animations aren't even trying to pretend that it's reality because I find it's, it's very difficult to portray reality. And I suppose in an age of social media, it's quite annoying when, I suppose it's really highlighting the fact that our brains can't tell the difference between real and what is real and what's imagined. And it leads to a lot of mental health struggles when we're looking at things online that on the surface, our brains thinks looks real and we're believing it's real. But I don't feel, I, I don't feel like the brain work operates like that with animations i haven't looked into the science behind this or anything but when i look at an illustration online i don't feel these these unconscious feelings of envy or these feelings of these people have a better life than me because it's 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 a fucking animation (laughs) it's not regal you can you can see it but then in the animations the illustrations you can still convey real emotion that's what i like about it so it's really i suppose getting at the emotion putting forth emotion and allowing people to realize that this is an emotion that it's okay to feel. It's okay to feel that. It's not, it's not a bad thing. So I, that's probably at the core. Because that's been the biggest struggle in my life has been suppressing emotions that I just didn't know how to deal with and I felt wrong for having. 
So if I create stuff that can help people to feel those emotions that they've had problems, struggle, they've struggled feeling and processing and making sense of, that's a massive success for me. And I, I feel like with the animated forms, the illustrations, it's a great way for me to explore that and express that because it's art. I suppose really at the core of it all is, is the art that I'm, I'm drawn to. It's the art that I'm drawn to creating. And you can clearly see that in illustrations, especially when you're working with talent. And I like working with talented people. So I work with Davey there. I like working with people who've got a sense of, well, why I like working with Davey there, there's a sense of pride in his work. And there's a sense of, he likes challenging himself and he likes, likes challenging himself and he likes seeking truth and re reflecting things like I do. That's that's kind of what the vibe I get from working with David. And I like working with talented people like that who are on a, si a similar wavelength. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Reverse engineering, just see where I go with it all. Uh, like I said, it's very applicable to technical subjects like coding. And it's more so, it's also applicable to things that are, are less obvious and less tangible. And the way I go about it is that I just break it down into its component parts. The reverse engineering element will be that I'd have an idea of where I want to go to. So with the animations there, I know that animation, that's the word, but I kind of discard the vision, the Walt Disney vision and stuff, because that's not, for me, that's not what I'm aiming for right now. And that might, that's not even, that's not even what I think I even want. It's more so what I've been talking about there. It's more so the emotion, the feeling, creating something that's me worth that's, that's meaning for me and that I can look at it and I'm like, that, that looks, that looks really well. That looks really well done. I'm proud of that work. That's what I'd be focused on there. So the reverse engineering part is just have a word in mind of where you're heading and then break it down into component parts like the animations there. It's the voice, it's the storylines, the narratives, and it's the illustrations. Basic components I think of for the reverse engineering part. So that's it. That's what I wanted to talk about today. If you would like to support the podcast, you can go over to happymindset.com. There's a coffee icon there if you want to buy me a coffee. Or you can also do a monthly, five euro a month, you get access to a group call to help just talk about and get you in the path moving towards uh, your creativity, to create stuff, to be on a, to create maybe a side project or to create something that you're passionate about, really tap into your passion for things. So you can join that if you want. And that's it. Thanks again for listening and I will speak to you on the next episode.